Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Reddy. It's the race review of the... Oh, no, it's not. But don't worry, we've still got some interesting F1 topics to come because it is a mailbag show. So the topics have been decided by you lot out there. So if it's a rubbish show, it's all your fault. But I've scanned a hand and the questions are absolutely fantastic. So I think that this might actually be my favourite element of Missed Apex, that we have a big enough community around this show now that when we ask for your input we get it so we've got some great questions today and i want to expand that into getting your voices on the podcast having some live call-ins we did a bit of a a test run a beta run of that on our patron podcasts last year and in the second half of this season we're going to have that so get your call-in muscles fired up if you want to come and spam us with questions on missed apex podcast also i have some ambitious plans for things like live shows, but we are being occupied at the moment by our Missed Apex karting July 1st. I believe there are two places left that is proving quite popular, but there's still time to get into our iRacing tournament as well that's starting on July 7th. So email me for both those things, spanners at mistapex.net. But we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. A little change in the lineup this week. The only responsible grown-up on the Missed Apex panel I could find, it's Chris Catman-Turner. How are you, Chris? Hey, Spanners. I thought I'd be getting a break from F1 and motorsport this weekend, but then there was the absolutely bonkers Nürburgring 24 hours race, and so there, there we went. I did start and watch the beginning of that, and I have to admit there is something about multi-class racing over a, a seven-minute lap 
that was amazing watching these uh, the big sports cars. I don't know what they're called. Overtaking like a Dacia that's going half the pace. It was fun and I really enjoyed it. But after about an hour, I thought, nah, I don't know if I can take another 23. And I, I, did, I did. It's too long for me, Catman. Too long. Yeah, 24 hours is, is awesome. But it's exactly the right length for motorsport. But that little Dacia, bless it. It totaled itself after a while. But that sounds that looks like me when I'm on iRacing against the, uh, the, the crew. This is me <laughs> driving pootling around. I wanted it to win. I think it's worth watching a rerun of the Nürburgring 20, 24 hours just to see them all overtaking that car. Uh, but we have a couple of rogues with us as well. It can't all be responsible grown-ups. We've got Alex Jeansy Van Jean. How's it going, mate? Evening spanners. Yeah, no, I'm I'm grumpy today because I didn't get to watch Grand Prix and because the Grand Prix wasn't on, I had to go and tidy my shed. And that was long and boring and laborious. And then when I pulled out all the stuff that needed to go to the dump, I realized I've changed my car and it's not as big as it used to be and I couldn't put any of it in the car. Yeah. So I just have a big mound of rubbish now in my garden. <laughs> As soon as the uh, the Grand Prix was cancelled, I went and told my wife and family, and then I realised like instantly I'd made a mistake because, <laughs> oh my goodness, isn't it like a dad's time is like a it's like a muddy puddle. It, as soon as it dries up, it just gets filled in with more stuff. Now that sounds like a Peppa Pig reference. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very tired. Like you, I also have been dragged into dad's time. Grumpy. And the roguiest of them all, it's Christian Pedersen from Denmark. Hey, Christian. Yeah, don't look around. I'm talking about you, sir. Yes, you. Oh, yeah, me. Good evening, sir. I, uh, I've uh, prepared something in the in the absence of Matt. So uh, during the podcast, if you need a, a tire effect, I have like one-liners, maybe a little bit more than one-liners. You, one, one writer now? I mean, I could open up with like like a basic tire effect. Okay, so we could say, okay, in the live chat, you can randomly, at some point after the 10-minute mark, type tyres, and uh, we'll play a stinger, and we'll go, right, I want to be quickly tired out by Christian Pedersen. No, wait, that sounds inappropriate. Do, Let's do, you, do you trust our live chat to not just spam tyres? No, they're going to instantly do, do it. Do you trust me <laughs> with facts? Yeah, by the way, when <laughs> when you mentioned the fact that me and me and, uh, and Christian are rogues, um, we were trying to be offended by that in the pre in the pre chat, and then exactly proved why that Chris is the more responsible one, and we are the rogues. Allow me yeah. to play. I'm bumpers. not even offended, Catman. Uh, I was about to say your uh, your little tire pun there didn't go unnoticed. It was really slick. Oh dear, we're off to a ter- honestly, we're off to a terrible start. We Should we just go now? 40. It's going to be a we really quick more this, than 40 odd hours. This show might hit an hour. Quiet in the cheap seats. Camera, camera on me, camera one. Thank you very much, Uncle Steve. Right, let's go to the listener questions. There's a fantastic one from Vietse van Bruggen about the 2005 Imola race replay, which is a, it's a great question. We're going to do that second, though, because anybody who doesn't like the first question will go, oh, at least we can hang on for the second one. But I think we'll like this from Jared. Simple. Who is the most underrated driver on the grid and who is the most overrated? So I asked my panel if they could pick one or the other to give us an example. Uh, let's see, who should we go with first? Christian, who's underrated or overrated on the F1 grid? Actually, I do not think anyone's underrated. Uh, no, sorry, overrated right now. I don't think we have, um, we don't have a Mazepin or someone like that on the, on the, on the field right now. Uh, he was never rated. Could- yeah, exactly. You could say Stroll, but I think Stroll just has reality against him, uh, and uh, he lives up to his uh, his job. You could say so. Overrated? I uh, don't think so. Underrated? 
I would say maybe Sargent uh, due to his start of the season and definitely De Vries. I think De Vries is a much better driver than we're seeing. Okay, so you're you're saying they're underrated, but in the defense of people who are underrating them, the only time we've really heard a a lot about them is when they've been hitting a car or a barrier. Yeah, but I'm, I'm... in in regards to Sargent, it's a little bit difficult for me to, to judge him. But uh, De Vries, he's got a lot of racing under his belt and he's proven himself. So I think it's just about time for him. And in, in regards to Sargent, he's got a very strong teammate. So maybe uh, the one asking the question is meaning underrated in in the fact that they can do much more than they're doing right now. Or I'm more or less taking it from a PR angle, if you know what I mean. I mean, De Vries is a Formula E champion, so you know he's he's not to be sniffed at, and he's a great driver. He was shown last year at Monza on his debut; he was brilliant. But this year, he's just been absolutely lackluster, and and I hear there's reports of him already looking to be replaced at AlphaTauri. I mean, that's that's pretty quick, uh, even by Red Bull standards. I mean, I, I agree with you on on De Vries. I do think De Vries is a really good driver. I think he's just had the really harsh end of the luck for this season. It's probably the worst Alpha Tauri Toro Rosso we've had in a really, really long time. He's up against a teammate. Yuki's on his third season, I think. So has finally got himself under the table. And bear in mind, he got a lot of slack by the team when he first joined. They took him, they moved him closer to the factory so they could train with him more and coach him more. You know, they've literally thrown Nick in and in a difficult car and expecting him to swim and now almost threatening him with Daniel Ricciardo. I, I do believe he's underrated. I, and also, the first five races we've had um, are at terrible circuits for new drivers as well. Tracks he's never been to before. You didn't need to say or, new drivers, by the way. The, the <laughs> five tracks there, terrible tracks. Uh, but yeah, you're right. They've been the kind of street circuits where mistakes are going to be uh, amplified. And so they're going to they're gonna show through more. It's unfortunate, but... You know, F1's is a political game as much as a sporting right. game. So when this drumbeat of negativity starts to come in, it's kind of almost like a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then it becomes a mental game for Nick DeFries. Can he actually hold it together uh, underneath that pressure? Because there's got to be more pressure now. Because if you're doing fine, you go into a race weekend and you accept there's a certain chance that you might hit a wall or, or hit Norris. And, and, and that happens. That's, <laughs> that's, that's racing. It does happen. But if it's happened like three or four sessions in a row, three or four races in a row, suddenly you go, I need to n- not make that headline. Then you're driving yeah. completely within yourself. We've, we've discussed this, and I think you mentioned it when you were on with Carl the other day or with Matt the other week, when he just needs to not be heard from for a yeah. while. And I just hope he can hang on till Spain. If he, can, if he turns up at Spain and does a rubbish job at Spain, then alarm bells can start ringing. But Spain will be a track that he knows, that he's raced at before in various different formulas, Mm. and will show his quality. You know, people say, oh, he went to Monza, and Monza's an easy circuit. Monza is not an easy circuit. Monza is a fast circuit where you have to break from incredibly Mm. high speeds, get the car stopped, and get it going again in cars that are clumsy around slow corners and have got a hell of a lot of power. So... Monza was a really good test of actually how good he was at a proper race circuit, but we just need to hurry up and get to a proper race circuit. And unfortunately, we lost a proper race circuit this weekend. Did you just say race at Spain? I don't think that works. I don't want to be picky, but I don't think you can like race at England. You have have to be picky. I might have said at. Yeah, I think you race in Spain. I'll tell you one more no. We'll know when we get a text message tomorrow morning from Brad. 
who will go, oh, you said apt or, rather than <laughs> the favorite, who rather than whom. And the favorite part of my Monday. Uh, <laughs> and we know exactly when Brad's listening to the show. Uh, Catman. I'd take more umbrage in the fact that you said that they're going to race in Spain at the circuit because it never produces a race for me. It's always just a procession in uh, Barcelona. Oh, no chicane. Is, there's no chicane. no chicane. There's no chicane, which is a shame. Which is a shame, and, and I think this will be no. A the chicane a... not being there is not a shame. We no, know no, how no, much no, you no. love chicane. No, no. The hairpin being gone is a shame. What I mean is, it's a shame that a track like that can't deliver a good race. So obviously, there's going to be evolution in cars. Cars are going to change. And you would kind of accept, well, Monaco, yeah, that was always an outlier anyway. The cars have outgrown Monaco. That's that. That's a given. Oh, they've outgrown Hungaro Ring now. Oh, that's that, that's a shame because Hungaro Ring's great. And then but when they start to really outgrow Barcelona, as it has done in the last sort of 10 years, really, then you go, oh, that is a real pity. Now we've got to make a decision. It, we either go all Tilkadrome or, or change the cars. Last year, Spain was a good race. 21, Spain was a good yeah, race. Yeah, it's a good track. I think, so too. I, I think there's... Um, even even going back to when Max won his first race there, that was a great race. You know, there's there's actually been some really good racing there lately. Um, it's more the past that has shown it up as a bad race. And again, Hungara Ring is, is... This is the problem with the ever-increasing size of the cars, is it makes all these tracks that are classics difficult to race on. And you're right when it comes to the Tilkadromes are starting to come into their own now. I want to know the overrated and underrated drivers from yeah, yeah, yeah. Catman. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we will. Good. Well done, Christian. That's the yeah, producer and superstar DJ in you. Uh, that, that topic with the bigger cars does come on uh, later in the mailbag. So don't you worry. Catman, who's underrated or overrated? I would say both underrated and overrated is Kevin Magnuson. And that's probably why Christian wanted to know my view. Um, I didn't know that. So. <laughs> I think it's probably just because... On his day, he's phenomenal. And when he's not on his day, he's absolutely nowhere. I can't fathom the guy at all. And to be honest, he's being he's being handed handed himself to himself by Kevin, uh, Nico Hulkenberg this year, to be honest with you. Um, and everybody's saying that Hulkenberg is incredibly overrated. So what does that make Magnussen? I don't know. I, I think with that comment, that basically means Magnussen is overrated. And I don't disagree because... When you have spikes of, let's say, brilliance, for lack of a better word, but the majority of your racing is just your existing, then people only looking at the spikes, that's what makes you right. are we Are we really doing this in front of a Dane? Christian, you, you're going you're gonna to take that? Or are you going to sail slowly yeah. over here with some bacon? Try and argue against it. Can, can you hear me from all the blah blah spanners? <laughs> I have a lot of blah blah going on in, in your ears. In my ears. I hear you. I'm with you, Christian. Tell them why they're wrong. Well, I'm, I'm not sure I can tell them why they're wrong because they're not wrong from a perspective of uh, watching Formula One uh, Grand Prix and <laughs> seeing the actual <laughs> reality. But uh, I think it has a lot to do with how the car performed from Haas. It does not do well in racing distance. It just falls off and it falls off on lap four, five, stuffish. But still, it's four to one in uh, in uh, in uh, a teammate comparison. So mm. it's not that I I I don't think uh, Kevin Magnussen is a bad or overrated driver at all. I think he's uh, he's always performing at one hundred percent. So whatever the car is ready to give, he will deliver it. So actually, I would argue that sometimes he he dances on that line and goes a little bit over. So. 
Look, look at the amount of times he's lost a front wing. Like he he doesn't mind sticking sticking his nose in, does he? So that, you know, sometimes you think there was good results when he was up qualifying like sixth or seventh. I'm, I'm thinking of a race at, at Montreal. I think maybe last season, and he just ends up in a few little collisions and knocks that he doesn't need to be in. And and again, F one's a political game. You get those one or two podiums out of nowhere, and suddenly you're Perez. Suddenly, you know, you're, and, and that's what Perez did. Perez was very kind of low risk, high reward, would w- bide his time, wait for that day. And he had like nine podiums from the midfield and then suddenly gets a top drive and is definitely going to win the championship this year. So is Magnussen just slightly the wrong side of that, Christian? Um, I'm just going to put it like this. I would rather be uh, Magnussen and putting my front wing where maybe there isn't room than never putting my front wing there. Mm. And that, if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing oh, driver. Oh, that, that BS, that BS strap line that we always debunked. I, I, I didn't use the quote. I That's made what my you own mean, quote, though, Christian. Christian Peterson, 2023. And I will say, I agree, because I think like we all want to be you know, that. That's a much more sexy way to go driving. And actually, as a Perez fan, one of my big criticisms of him is that he's not aggressive enough on on lap one and he loses out like lap one lap two i don't think it is just off the line i think he makes decisions to survive and and i i criticize that but it's got him to to where he is i, I don't know catman the thing with um magnuson i don't know this wasn't meant to be a whole magnuson thing but i think we can agree that it's un, an untapped potential yeah he, the problem is he's had his chances obviously yes. he was uh, at mclaren i know they were on a downturn at the time and he's alongside jensen but it's interesting. The uh, Haas have got two drivers that are almost exactly the same. They've both got a single pole position at Interlagos in random conditions. Is and it? then they fell <laughs> off from there. Yeah, both Hulkenberg and Magnussen did exactly the same Hulk thing. Hulk in his first season in the Williams. Force India. It was the f- No, no, the, that pole was the Force India Interlagos. And didn't he wipe out Hamilton? Was that yeah. 2012? Yes, he did, yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because no, I no, have... no, no. Hulk got one in his first season. Did he? So he's got two poles in the Williams <gasps> quiz master. His first Man. season in the Williams, he got a pole at Brazil, hundred percent. Oh well, there you go. So I mean, I've said this, I mean, I've said this before and been proved wrong, but I I have this memory <laughs> of a wet of a wet qualifying in whatever year he started in a Williams going on pole and everyone being flabbergasted by it. He then yeah. got pole again in the Force India. I'm Even, very sorry. He, uh, Wikipedia has come to my rescue, sailed in. He has only got the one uh, pole, and that is at Interlagos. Oh, what, year? what year? 2012. Yeah. Yeah, because that was like Hamilton was like his um, his engine kept blowing up. He got fed up. He'd uh, he'd walked out of the car like from Singapore straight into the Mercedes HR office to sign to sign the contract, um, and then as a final like passing insult to show the season that could have been, he got taken out by Nico Hulkenberg um, in turn one in the middle of the race in a completely innocuous um, overtaking attempt. Are you good? Really no, I remember. I, no, yeah. I remember that. But I, who got a pole in Williams at Brazil then? Oh, well, that's going to annoy me. Slack, Slack will save me. At some before point. this turns into middle-aged men googling things, uh, I want to go <laughs> on to Alex. Yeah, cat man, we can tell you're not looking at the camera. Stop googling. Yeah, even though he's on mute, you can hear the sound of him desperately typing. So, um, Alex, who's overrated or underrated for you? Max Verstappen. No, oh. um, <laughs> could you underrated. imagine if I decided to go into a rant? Well, to, to be fair, oh here I'm we go. Gonna go oh, no. I, 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 I might burn the internet down with this one. But I do think Fernando Alonso is massively overrated. How dare you? How dare you? See you later. So, See you later. So yeah, listen. yeah, we're all off. This is the Van Jean podcast now. Right? <laughs> so listen, I believe Fernando Alonso 
is a fantastic racing driver. However, I don't believe that Fernando Alonso is as amazing as he thinks he is. That's why I again believe that he is overrated because he has inflated himself above everybody else what they genuinely believe of him and he's gaslit everybody into believing he is this great but if he was this great he could have won more championships he could have put himself in better positions he could have done things more clever but he positions himself with teammates that are nowhere near as good and then praises them to high heaven and for me, that just means he completely overinflates actually how good he is. This isn't me saying he isn't good, but he's not quite as good as he says he is. Uh, Catman, do you owe Bangin an apology? Yes, I do. <laughs> we keep... <laughs> so, we're getting! Yes. I got Alex... something right! <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Alex. Yeah, you were right. So it was it was at, it was was in Williams, he was on pole, but he, he both were correct in theory, except he didn't get the pole for Force India, he got the pole for Williams. You were correct. Oh, was he not on pole with the Force India? No. Was he on the front start... row then? Yes, uh, that he started sixth, but then made his way up to first. Ah, uh, okay. Apologies. He was mega in that race until the point he wiped out Lewis in his last Okay, can oh, I just really? okay? So the, the question here, the question here is: <laughs> Is Fernando Alonso overrated by people? Like, okay, so if I was to say he's one of the all-time greats of Formula One, I would be absolutely correct because he yes. absolutely is one of the all-time greats of Formula One. Now, people will look at the stats and say Schumacher seven, right? But five of them were lumped in one go. People will say Lewis Hamilton, seven. And I think Lewis Hamilton's brilliant. Statistically, the best driver of all time, maybe the best driver of all time. But again, a lot of that lumped into one dominant period where he had to sort of slightly batter off Bottas and feather away a spinning Vettel. So, like, to me, it's meaningless, this, oh, it's seven, oh, it's eight, as it should have been. Um, But Alonso took his chance for his championship and he's won it and he's proved against teammates that he is he is up he's right up there with the very best drivers. I don't see any sense in anything other than looking back at man and going, Fernando Alonso is an all-time great in Formula One. He is one of the greatest Formula One drivers ever. So how can he possibly be overrated? Like what would what would you have to say? You would have to say that he was a god walking amongst men. And even then, I'm not sure that would be an exaggeration. Oh here you go. No, go on Alex, you can answer that. My, my point is my point I'm not denying that Alonso is great and probably one of the greats. But the height that people actually put him at <laughs> yeah. is higher than the level than he like is I'm at. doing. Yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, he's had one decent teammate in his own, in his whole career. And that teammate was a rookie and beat him. Name another decent teammate he's had. Button. Isn't Name me? another decent teammate he's had. Ocon. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Name a decent teammate he's had. <laughs> uh, Nelson Piquet Jr., who was his teammate at Minardi. <laughs> I don't know. I'm out of teammates. <laughs> so that kind of says it all. You know, you want to talk about Ocon. I think it if, was Baumgartner. Oh, there you go. If you want to, if you want to talk wow. about Ocon, if Matt was here, Ocon beat him. You can you can point at all the circumstances you want. Ocon still was never completely outclassed by Fernando Alonso. So. That's why I just think he is put high. I'm not, you know, listen, I, I will never not have an opportunity to crap on Fernando Alonso because it's a pastime of mine, but um, he is not quite as high as he and some of his cult think he is. Wow. If Van Gene's oh. wrong about that, what else is he wrong about, Catman? 
Yeah, he's, he is wrong about that. And I, it, because you just look at the, the championships that he nearly won in cars that were nowhere near as good as, say, Vettel's Red Bull, for example. And then obviously you're going to say when he goes to the other series and jumps in other cars and wins, yeah, he, whatever he turns his hand to, he's always at the top of the class. So I, I do think he's a, a driving genius. I can't remember if we're going to uh, take the question about the Le Mans. Uh, but if we are not taking the question about the Le Mans, I would just add that my question to two drivers to a Le Mans team would be Alonso and Magnussen. So there I go. Yeah. So it was, um, <laughs> hang ruined. on, uh, let, let, let's, let's go to that. Stuart Neal had asked, if you were a team manager for a Le Mans yeah. and create a team from F1 drivers that you would pick to create a super lineup, who would it be? And I think that's fair. So uh, Alonso, is Hulkenberg in, in, in with a shout? No, let, let me just... Can, can I just uh, uh, explain Alonso? Because uh, I totally get what everyone is saying. And uh, I have been like one of the biggest uh, haters on Alonso on this podcast because I don't like the way he go about Yeah. But imagine a team where you have two drivers who have to work together to bring a car home or three drivers or whatever to bring a car home after 24 hours. I, I could not think of anyone I would rather have out there than someone like Alonso or someone like Magnussen. They would they they would become one with the car and they would del- deliver it back in position one. K Mag would become one with other cars in a twenty four hour yeah. race. I, yeah, I we, can't would think of anything of K Mag. I can't think of K Mag being anything else other than a menace on a twenty four hour race. In I think a you should car. just watch Kevin's dad and go watch some of his uh, GT racing career because he probably is like the prime. He's like the Alonso of the GT world. I think. Yeah, Daddy Magnussen was amazing. But if you, this just reminds me of when the Mansells went racing at Le Mans, where Nigel took his two boys racing in one car and I think he binned it on lap two and then that was it. They were out. That was done. (laughs) Can I um, mention someone from the chat who's actually made a really good um, note for someone who's overrated? Um, Who was it? Connor Chanley. Um, Pierre Gasly. Oh, so who, who made that comment? Uh, Connor Chan- Connor Channy. He says, "Before I say that, before I say that, I think Gasly is overrated. How big a fan of him is everyone here? Quite. I'm not yeah. that big a fan of him, so yeah. I'm quite happy to agree with that. I am. Um, I I think he's like he's like one of the just one of the coolest F1 drivers, and like just from a like um almost from like a Netflix perspective, you know, uh, not pure racing. I just think like he embodies this kind of." olden days image of what a, what an F1 driver should be. He's got the swagger, he's got confidence, he's got aggression and and he just when he's on track, you can almost you can feel his presence in the car when you're watching him on track. I he's one of those drivers and I I I don't know whether I could actually technically do this. So I'm not going to argue in a ditch. If you painted all the cars white and and had a white helmet and uh and suit, I think I could pick out Pierre Gasly. That's just because you fancy him because he's pretty. You don't know that for sure. (laughs) Stop leaking our WhatsApps. But yes, he's also very pretty, very charismatic. And honestly, yeah, I think there's not a lot to not like about him. He's polite and I would imagine rarely late. You could pick Uh, him out because he'd be the one who'd be buried in a wall. I love that. I I think a driver like Pierre Gasly is the perfect example of why it's so difficult uh, judging the drivers in the midfield because... Each track has a different characteristic for the tires. Did someone say tires? A single set of Formula One tires <laughs> cost around $2,700. Okay, I will go on. 
uh, I think it's very difficult to. <laughs> I'm sorry, Spanners. I'm just taking all this, Joe. I think it's very difficult to judge the mid drivers because at each track, the track is sort of driving them. The tires are sort of driving them. So sometimes one year Pierre Gasly can shine in his team, and the next year he has to learn some tires. And you sort of like don't watch him. The same for Kevin Magnussen and Hulkenberg. It's it makes it so difficult for us from the outside to really judge how talented they are. But as we talked about overrated, underrated, there's no one in the current Formula One uh, field that is not supposed to be there. Okay, so the most, I think, no, not this is an exaggeration, but the most surprising amount of hate mail I've ever had on this show was for Catman. And I, I couldn't yeah. believe it. Catman. He's what been, did he do? When he said the Williams was the best looking car? No, he, he said Gasly was, he said Gasly was, um, was overrated and he didn't get the, the, the hype. And Ellen yelled at him for about 10 minutes and then the internet joined in. So you agree, Catman, don't you, that, that he's overrated? Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't get the Gasly hype at all. He's just, he, he's been crashy. He's inconsistent. Yeah, he's had some sparks of brilliance, like at Monza, for example. It wasn't he, a spark of brilliance. It was a spark of luck. Let exactly. the gentleman talk, exactly. Alex. My goodness. No, absolutely. This is it. The, the, the thing is, it, these high points, like we were talking about with Hulkenberg and Magnussen, is don't make a driver. He's a very high-class midfield driver, and that is the comment that got me broken last time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but there's a lot of drivers that fall into that category, and I don't think it's, it's shameful where you become the kind of driver, yeah, you don't get that drive for a top team, but midfield teams keep trusting you to go and do a job for them. And I don't think there's any disgrace in that. Like, there's... Six or seven teams that would die to have Holkenberg, uh, Kevin Magnussen, Roman Roman Grosjean for all his his faults, and uh, and even like and then then Sergio Perez kind of fell into that. If you can be one of those utility drivers where you know a team can trust you and pay you several million a year, that is an achievement within Formula One itself. I don't think there's any disgrace in that. And and Gasly's probably at the top end of that. So of those drivers we've just mentioned, if Gasly gets a chance at, at Ferrari or Mercedes. I, I would expect them to, to him to take it and do well. Yeah, we're talking fractions of a percentage here. You know, we're we're treating them like they're heroes and zeros, but they are all absolutely amazing drivers. It's just there's some that are slightly more amazing than others. If you're talking about drivers outside the top three teams, I'd rather have Norris. I'd rather mm. have Ocon. Um, I'd rather have Alonso. I'd rather have. Um, Wash your, your mouth I, out. I, I, I put. I actually put, I said three teams, and I include, and I, I say top three teams as Mercedes, Red Bull, and Ferrari. Um, I mean, I don't know who would have to be already taken for me to take Gasly because he just seems to cause a bit of carnage wherever he goes. He seems like a <laughs> lovely guy. I, li- I really like him as a personality in the, in, the, in the paddock, and he is a fast driver. Just say he's but, pretty. Come on, admit it. You think so too. He is pretty. Him and Leclerc are two of the most beautiful men on the planet. Leclerc's, you know that opening theme, intro thing, where Leclerc's looking to the side and then he looks up at the camera? That should be illegal. That was... (laughs) Well, unlike George's one. (laughs) That was was somehow less glamorous. Okay, I've got an overrated driver, and I don't think this is going to be very popular. My overrated driver is Alex Albon. So I think people think a lot more of Alex Albon than has been demonstrated to be true. And I think there's some circumstances around that. So just as he was getting going, he gets the chance to go up against Max Verstappen. It doesn't go well. So in his defense, that's Max Verstappen. 
And also Gasly didn't do well. And then also Perez looked bad for a couple of seasons as well. So there's that. Then he had a year out. Then he comes to Williams and he's up against, you know, rookies and people who he should definitely be beating in that kind of range. And and that probably won't change at Williams because it is probably going to be a, a buy-in seat, that, that second seat. So I think Albon is being flattered at the moment. And, and I just don't think we have the evidence to back up the assumption that a lot of people have that he's a top, top driver. Christopher Katman-Turner. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. His stint at Red Bull didn't do him any favours at all. He showed he wasn't aggressive enough. And then when he was fighting against Lewis, he was constantly clattering into him as well. Oh, yeah. I don't think it was very good. Although I don't know if I'm one to judge because I just tried to emulate George's pose and I've just given myself a massive cramp in my yeah. right <laughs> So Hey, as always, <laughs> I, I always talk. say, look, we're in a shed here where we're always going to pass judgment on objectively better human beings uh, than than we are. But also during that phase at Red Bull, it wasn't just the out-and-out aggression or, or racecraft that was letting him down. Yes, he kept having those clashes with Hamilton. And as much as everyone blamed Hamilton for that Interlagos cutback, that was that was crazy. He went all the way around the outside, invited Hamilton to come up the inside, and then drove to the apex as if he wasn't there. I'm not having, I'm not getting gaslit again. That was Albon's fault all day long. But also, like he would complain that the Toro Rosso, the Alpha Tauri now driver, uh, drivers, they fight me so hard. Yeah, there are other cars on the racetrack, and I just feel like he he maybe hyped himself up too much. Uh, by the time he got to, to Red Bull. Sorry, Christian and then Alex. Albon is one of my favorite drivers. Oh, so no. I'm I didn't know that. This of words <laughs> go, go, coming go. your way. Vamos. Uh, no, I'm just, I'm going to make it short. I'm, I totally agree with the Brazil incident with Hamilton, uh, but it was a shame because that was his only podium that could have changed everything, actually. But what I'm going to make is this point. The one Beating the Russells, the Verstappens, the Leclercs, and all of them in the karting days was the, was the Alex album. And you don't do that if you don't have it, if you know what I mean. And I can see it in him. Sometimes just, I mean, Sajin is a lot quicker than people think, and Albon is way ahead. So I'm betting my money on Alex, and you can say what you want. And I'm turning off my, I'm put, taking off my headphones. <laughs> Uh, to be fair, I, I give Albon a little bit of defence. I, I think it was really, really harsh to judge him on his Red Bull appearance because it was his first season in the sport. He'd done half a year in the Toro, Toro Rosso at the time. I can't remember when they changed the name over. And then got thrown in to the seat against one of the best talents the sport's ever seen. And lo and behold, he failed. Um, and then was booted down the card then had a year out, and has now come back, and he's been good since he came back. Um, I think he is, is, is exactly rated as people think he is. Okay. I, think he is a, I think he is a good midfield driver. Um, I'd probably have him over Gasly. Oh, no way. Oh, my goodness. Right. Oh, you're starting an F1 <laughs> me team. Me too. Oh, my God. You've got, the, yeah, you've, me got three. Your, you've got your pick of like all these midfield drivers that we've been talking about, and you are going to pick Alex Albon over Pierre Gasly. You are all smoking crack. Is that all huh? three of you? Tell I'm me so anything decent. That, crack. Tell me anything decent that Gasly's done this, this season. He crashed into his teammate. Oh, no, hang on. That's not good. <laughs> well, that, um, that he was, kept on crashing. Oh, hang on. That's not good either. That, that was good because it made Trumpet sad. And uh, I was laughing when that happened. And once I knew they were okay, I was laughing, just thinking about how Matt was going to feel about that. So that is a positive for me. Hey, we've spent 35 minutes on one question. So uh, that is an absolutely fantastic job there by who asked that question. I don't want to misrepresent it. 
Jared, thanks. You basically just wrote that show for me. Christian, random tire facts, go! Oh, I have to scroll in my... Okay, um, some spell tire with an I, others <laughs> spell it with a Y. None of them are true because it's spelled with a T. I made that one up myself. Okay, I, that segment is a waste of time. Right. No, no one else write tire in the chat. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I have more. I have three more. Yep, and uh, that is, that's something that I've got to deal with. That's a problem. That's a me problem. At this He's point. getting in the groove now. Honestly, I just look. I I love my panel. I love having a no rotating. No one got the groove, but me, Catman. I love having a rotating panel. But when I see Vanji and Christian on the same team sheet, I think, oh, shall I just, shall I change that? No, I'm gonna trust them. What a fool! Who you have, me and Christian, or me and Brad? What a fool I am. <laughs> um, I don't, it depends whether I want lots of emails or not, doesn't it? That one, that particular one. Love Brad. Love you, Brad. Uh, Weitzer van Bruggen says, I watched the 2005 Imola race replay and I thought it was an interesting race uh, back in the day. So when he was watching it back in the day, he thought it was an interesting race and still great to watch. Now, would an audience that started watching F1 like that in the past five years uh, consider Imola 2005 to be a great race? Would it even be considered a great race if a race would pan out similarly like Imola 2005 would in the current season. Now, that is a fascinating question because, yeah, at, at the time, I, I think as Formula One fans, and we were all watching at that time here on the panel, I think we all felt at the time that that was a, a great era of Formula One. I was a little bit upset about uh, Schumacher just like ruining Formula One and, and winning too much. But apart because we were having to suffer Germany beating us at football quite regularly as well at the time so yeah that was all a bit upsetting this was the season though that, I, that Fernando Alonso was really sort of coming to the forefront uh, with Renault and they were really bringing it and this was an era of refueling this was an era of groove tyres but I watched the replay or the, the highlights like the 15 minutes, minute highlights of it it would have been interesting if I'd had time in response to this question to sit and watch a full live replay of it but there was a lot of problems uh, that we complain about now, yet it was considered a, a great race. So the first thing that I noticed straight away was the cars looked absolutely minuscule compared to today. So Imola looked like quite a wide racetrack, yet still it was very difficult to overtake. Still, there was field spread. The field spread looked, uh, you know, there wasn't a one team and one car off 30 seconds ahead, but they were spaced out and the track spaced those cars out. So it wasn't like those cars had this magic ability to be, you know, 20 of them all in a big pack. Plus we had refueling. So a lot of the passes that were there were just due to one team being on a different fuel strategy. And so you did see some passes early on. But when you got to the end and the strategies converged, um, yeah, one car was able to hold off another. So Schumacher was able to just hold off Fernando. Uh, sorry, Fernando Alonso was able to hold off Schumacher, not by doing any crazy defending, but just by kind of going about his business, taking the correct uh, the correct lines uh, and, and just making sure to place the car. I don't think he even had to make a defensive move. Yet they were calling it on the commentary. Oh, what a great defensive drive from Fernando Alonso. So I, I, I honestly think, Catman, in response to Weitz's question there, is that I, I don't think that would cut it anymore. That classic Grand Prix wouldn't cut it in 2023. Oh, I totally disagree. I think I think one thing was Fernando was subtly defending. It wasn't, you know, just nailing it to the inside and slowing himself right up. It was just 
marginal changes to his lines that made it such a masterful drive. And actually, when you, I was watching it all over and I got that smile back on my face because if there was DRS, Schumacher would have been straight past and that would have been the end of that. Whereas we got to watch a good few laps of one of the absolute masters in the sport. You could just watch him dancing his car and, and those cars dance because they were light and they clattered those curves and you could just see him just playing with the slide it was a beautiful thing to and, see and why did they slide catman why did they slide because uh, of the groove tires because of the groove so tires i love them i love them <laughs> bring them back yeah but it was it was beautiful and and there was there was good defending there was good attacking but this is the thing that you don't need overtakes for it to be exciting this is what i think sometimes liberty and the current formula one management not not necessarily the new fans because i i think that given a race like that the fans would look at but i think it all comes down to how well the commentary team and the media around that sort of race are portraying it. if they're saying it's boring it's boring if they're saying it's exciting and they're describing with the sort of passion that hopefully i can show it demonstrating here that <laughs> yeah you know they can yeah, uh, they've got this so beautiful well, I know, Cameron, you're absolutely right, because I don't want to, I never want to call out like professional broadcasters, particularly ones that I think do a brilliant job. So like with love, like I really, I actually really like the Sky broadcast team, right? So this is David Croft is, I think, hands down one of the, the greatest commentators ever in, in motorsport. He is technically so, so good. Recreate what he does. You will trip and fall trying to do what he does. Uh, ably, uh, he gets helped. far too much hate. Far, far, far too, too much, much far too un- much. unnecessary hate i think coffee's amazing <laughs> i know but i'm about to like hate on it and on something that they did um so but no i want to prefix with that with i genuinely love him i think he's he's absolutely brilliant uh my uh my wife had a haircut once with his partner and i found out that that we lived in the the same town and i spent loads of time going oh what if i had something prepared if i ever bumped into crofty at the co-op or the pub it never happened. Never happened. Uh, and what did you prepare? What did you prepare? Oh, I was, you know, just like, oh, I was going to like pretend, play it cool, like pretend I didn't know what he was, but then recognize him halfway through the conversation, maybe after I'd already mentioned my Formula One podcast. <laughs> and Crofty's coming down aisle three and he's picked up the peas and here he comes. I was, oh I, if I'd God. seen him in the supermarket, I would have taken my racing lines in my trolley better than I, I normally do. We all do that, right? We all do do that. Okay. Who so, wouldn't? Why wouldn't you? It's the and way the circuit. obviously on the Sky team, he's normally uh, fronted, uh, sorry, accompanied by Martin Brundle, who is an absolute legend who saved Formula One for me when Murray Walker was starting to do my head in a little bit by just getting actual facts wrong. The excitement was always there, but the facts not so much. Martin Brundle, like for me, I was like, oh, thank goodness I can have the excitement and now I actually know what's going on as well on this particular occasion i think it was the baku grand prix uh, it was Karun Karun chanduk also fantastic alongside david croft but they felt like they had to apologize for how bad the race was instead of just highlighting the bits that were good and bigging it up they were kind of like oh no i can feel th-. and this is a social media thing they could feel the emails coming through their souls about boring race boring race boring race and they had to sit and apologize for it being a boring race and that to me I don't do that. That's not Alex. How much of that though is due to the incredibly poor um, TV direction? Yeah, possibly. That the world, yeah, that the world that. feed gives. The world feed shows the first two laps of the race, and then no matter what is going on, goes to five laps worth of replays. When 
their stuff going on so, when DRS is about to be opened. Mm. They go to replays. That's a so, de- that's deliberate. That's that, that's a fully deliberate thing. Who was um, Massa's? I understand engineer? it is, but I don't understand why. Rob Smedley. I interviewed Rob Smedley here on Missed Apex podcast last season. So what was the so what was the re- what's the reason why and, they're doing? And this was just a thing. They just they really it came from a definitely pl- came from a place of caring and a, and they, they, it was a, a real drive to show people what the drivers were up to from all angles. It was all like they they went through a phase of trying like uh, showing reaction times at the starts and they really wanted to show I like that yeah they wanted to show the skill of the start and this is one of the things that came out from it is wait for the action to uh, to, to die down at the front and then show replays but us old sweats we're sitting there going well no we want to we want to see who's pushing who's not pushing who's tyre saving we want to see those battles up front but also it's that case of but they don't wait until it's settled down they wait until exactly DRS opens, which is when yeah. it doesn't settle down because it's when everyone is at their closest oh, they yeah, are throughout the entire Grand until they call a competition caution for a mouse being on the circuit and they pull a safety car out for <laughs> So I'm not saying it's magnificent. All I'm saying is I believe that that is coming from a, a good place for the viewer. But yes, so I, I agree with you on the case of it's terrible that the commentators are having to apologise, but I think they're having to apologise because what they are being shown Maybe. isn't actually representative of what is going on. It actually shows how good they are to talk their way sure, sure. I don't, through I it don't, and still make it interesting. I don't think that's the whole story, but I accept your point. Christian? Let me just uh, quickly recap the Imola 2005 race for people who's listening to this who didn't watch it. it it's, it's basically, they, they don't change tyres in the pit, they only do refueling and they can adjust like uh, the, the front wing and maybe adjust a little bit of tire pressure, which in the six, seven seconds, the stationary is quite difficult. Anyway, same tires all the way through. Shumi made a, a, an error in qualifying, was fully uh, packed with fuel for the race, but did a, a mistake. So he started 13. The entire race was between Shumi and Alonso. Alonso uh, away with Raikkonen. Raikkonen cars breaks down. The McLaren and Rianui McLaren still, I think, or was it maybe? A, doesn't matter. Anyway, it broke down, <laughs> so probably an Rianui. Anyway, um, Shumi collects Alonso during the race, drives a masterful race. Uh, this is where you see, uh, this is not a Gasly or Kevin Magnussen or anything. This is a Shumi in Imola just driving the butt out of that uh, Ferrari. He picks up on Alonso. I think there's around 15 laps left, and he just can't get through. Alonso doesn't even drive very well. Of course, he drives a little bit defensive, but it's just, as Spanner said, he just places his car in the line and you can't do anything. My experience from watching this race, and I watched the entire race, um, we don't want that. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Uh, so uh, the the question asker, asker, uh, right, Sir Van Bruggen, who asked the question, is in our Patreon live chat, and you can be too by going to patreon.com forward slash missed apex why do i say that every show because that is the only reason that we are here there would be a lot of other pressures for me and matt if we weren't patreon supported so you'll get an ad free feed uh, so you get a special link from patreon that you put in your podcast player uh, and look i try to make sure that the ads are good and sometimes i hope that they're entertaining as well when i when i do them and uh but if you don't want them you can go to patreon.com forward slash missed apex for an ad free feed there's extra bonus content on a Friday before a race where we waffle a little bit, uh, get to know me and Matt a little better. And we are always in our Patreon Slack group as well. Um, and so you can get all of that on the $5 tier, patreon.com forward slash missed apex. Viasa says in our Patreon Slack group, the 2005 cars had to deal with a lot of wake coming from the car that they were chasing. Overtaking through pit stops was you know, one of the only options, but it was great in terms of racecraft, making a strategy work. Great defensing driving. If you don't highlight that and explain why that's great racecraft, then you can't blame a broad audience for not understanding why that is great. And Catman, I think the original question, the original point is, I think you put that race in the, the modern F1 sphere. And I still think that people will complain it's boring. And I still think the broadcast teams will, will feel a pressure to apologize for it. And that's the problem. I think they need to not feel that pressure and make a concerted effort, as as uh, Vector was saying, to explain how masterful these drivers are in actually following and trying to overtake even when they can't showing the different lines they're taking and all the different strategies they're doing explain that to people and that's what they've come for they've come for the love of the sport i think the reason a lot of those um fuel stop races were classed as boring was schumacher who started in 13th on a heavy car cruised around all of a sudden everyone pits in front of him he then goes and blitzes the track, which you don't really see because you're seeing everybody's pit stops and everything else going on. And then all of a sudden he pits and he pops up in third place. And everyone's just like, what? Yeah. How did that How did that happen? I hated and, that. And it, and it just it gave you no element of what actually had happened, despite the fact it would have been a fantastic drive from Shumi to pull that out. I mean, there was, I think it said during that thing that he, he was like two seconds a lot quicker than Jensen Button and Shumi uh, and Alonso at that point, which again, tells me a difference in the cards because you just won't get that. Um, 
these days, but it might have been fuel and all this kind of stuff. So that was the reason the refueling stages never worked. I think the thing that would have saved this race in the modern time is we had a fight for the lead on the final lap. And I think that would have saved it because I don't know how many laps they were. Schumacher was chasing him for, but he went through Button and then he caught up caught up to the back of Alonso. So I think that would have saved it in the modern era um, and would have kept it as a good race. Absolutely. You know, people want that fight for the lead. They don't want a fight for 13th place. But if you contrast it to Miami, for instance, where Max started in a similar place um, and he just breezed past everybody with DRS and they came up to his teammate and breezed past him as well. Um, you know, it's it's just not comparable. They need to actually have some form of competition there. And, and that's what we had in those days. Let me just add a short, frightening aspect of the Imola broadcast. Watching the cars without the halo was uh, yes, almost like running it. into a wall. Like, what is going on? How, I mean, aren't they afraid? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no. There's a lot about how, how quickly the halo has integrated into just being part of Formula One, basically, racing. Tires! My God! Uh, He's got a clipboard! To... <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, well... Um, did you know that after every race, tires are burned at 1,400 degrees centigrade, the ash can then be recycled to make asphalt or with a microscope be reassembled as a tire? I did know no, that. No, 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 it does. that's not true. Not, no, 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 no. The, Imagine the... <laughs> if it was ashes. You had like no, no, a no. trillion bits of ashes. The bit I did know is that, like, uh, so my dad used to work for a company that would take old tyres, break them down and make them into new tyres. So I don't know if it's technically in the way that you did that, but uh, I had one brief opportunity where we might have been able to do a, a, a karting league and uh, and it was only if my dad's company called Vacuolug could persuade this karting series that they should have all their tyres made out of recycled tyres. Uh, but it turned out that the tyres were, were garbage and that's not particularly a great idea, is my understanding of that. A bonus, bonus addition, the tyres are burnt in England. Yeah, that's a, a blistering fact. <laughs> that's not going to be great for our, um, our, our, our environment. If the, um, if the Simpsons has taught me anything, it's that tyres burn forever. Wes mentions in the um, in the chat about the timings often not shown in the old races, which is true. But actually, what jarred me more was the way they used to count the laps down. Exactly. Oh, uh, you, the noise. I looked. I was, I was like, "Oh, I'm watching this replay. I'm watching this replay of the thing. I'm a couple of minutes in, <laughs> and it's saying yeah. there's 13 laps left. I'm like, what? They're only on 13. Oh, hang on. No, it's the other way around. It used to always if, drive me nuts. If you count down, you need the number to be the last number. The first number can never be the countdown. No. Anyway, graphical thinking, but it was so wrong. Everything that went on, timing wise, it, it was a terrible design race. idea. It was. Mailbag show. So uh, we've got a couple of quicker, quicker fire ones here. Brad Schooling says, hi, Richard. What did I do wrong? Uh, nice to catch up with, uh, with you at Lakeside Karting on Friday. Yes, I did. I went on a sneaky karting session to my nearest kart track, which was still like an hour and a half away. Uh, what he, He's got a question here. What if all the, the drivers... Got two races per team set at random tracks uh, with a draw ceremony at the start of the season. Would this allow people to see who is the best, most adaptable team? Uh, would this show who is the best, most adaptable driver? Uh, discuss the politics and tactics this would 
create. And, and I think this does come down to like the core of what people want and what we're looking at within the competition of Formula One. So great question, Brad. And it was lovely racing with you at Lakeside Karting. I wish I'd seen more of you, but go-karts don't have wing mirrors. Catman. Oh, <laughs> hey, uh, that was a good shout out for Lakeside Karting. No, there. no, what no. A fantastic they, do you know what? Have you been there? Yeah, like, absolutely. They were at, they were lovely and they were so accommodating. And they did they like we got out of the carts and they said, "Well, if you want to go again, you can you can go again at half price." And like all of us went, "Well, we're kind of old. Thank you for the offer, <laughs> but but it's kind do, of a." Do you know how you know if you're going fast enough at Lakeside? Tell me. You got you get air going down the hill. Oh right, yeah. yeah. So so at the end of the straight, there's a big drop, and uh, you must keep your steering wheel very very straight during this time. No, I, you've I got to be not. pointing outwards to get a better line for the corner. <laughs> I, know, I, I did do. not do that, and I ended up in the wall backwards at whatever their top speed is. It was pretty painful. So, 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 so on behalf of the listeners, um, we're just hey, we are here. What are you guys talking about? <laughs> okay, let, let, okay, okay. Glory just, days. <laughs> just talking about outdoor karting in general. Like I always outdoor, say, to everyone, what is outdoor? What are you? Okay, what is this so outdoor there's thing? two types of karting in general, isn't there? When you just want to tip up and go karting, indoor karting where you're on rubber with no grip, and look, those those guys do a fine job, but it's it's not what I want because you're, you're sliding around a lot. It's very hard to overtake. But if you just have like a a Friday afternoon free, your your work finished early. You can spend your $30 worse than just going along to an indoor kart track and just get in there, get in the race suit, get the helmet on, pull the visor down and, and just set lap times. That's great. Catman, that, that's a thing you could, that's not a waste of an afternoon and it's relatively cheap. Go and find an indoor circuit. Just go do laps. If you've never done, done it before, do not be scared. The motorsport is dangerous, but that is the least dangerous form of motorsport I can think about. Be sensible. Don't go flying into other carts, but you do get a racing experience out of it. Oh, absolutely. It's how we all started out almost to a T, I would reckon. You know, when you're when you're young, just get, grab a cart and go. It's absolutely awesome. Although I must say, you know, Christian, when you were saying about indoors versus outdoors, I mean, look at his screen. No wonder he likes indoors. It's very, very it's dark. It's very dark. It's gloomy. <laughs> Christian likes dungeon karting. But when you go on onto an outdoor track, it's a completely different experience. Unfortunately, it does tend to be about double the price. But that's when you really feel like a like a race driver, and like most of those outdoor tracks, they have like a, you know the red and white curbs, and you have to decide like how much of the curb you're willing to risk taking. And so I, you know, the Red Lodge uh, in Cambridgeshire, for example, they have a really thick curb, and I was just abusing it because I just I found a weight where my outside tire was okay, and I could hit the curb really hard. About ten laps in. I broke the front right tire off and it went flying across the circuit all the way across the other side of the circuit and like other cars were having to avoid it. And and it's because I'd been abusing the curbs for about, you know, 20 minutes and they apologized to me and I was like it's okay. I don't mind. Obviously it's not ideal. 100% my fault. I I got sad about karting today because I was clearing out my shed and I found two boxes full of trophies. I found my old Nassau panels, which is the big panel that goes on the front of the cart from my 24-hour races, and I found my old pit board. And I got very, very sad because... I used to be quite good, but unfortunately my um my body shape has changed in the last five, <laughs> six years and I can't really do it anymore. You can, um you can, you can race s- in the B finals with me. It's fine. Come and join that. me. I won that thanks Come. to you. You, yeah. you. you defend you defended me brilliantly. <laughs> anyway, go go karting. You you won't regret it. Like everyone steps out of a go kart 
and they're they're buzzing. Like it's so so rare that you see anyone sad after go karting. They say money can't buy you happiness, but that is that's not right because you can I pay. Can disagree with that. Yeah, you can pay to go <laughs> go karting. So money can absolutely buy you happiness. Also, like you know, beer. Uh, but the the question is a good one because it comes down to the core of what is Formula One. IndyCar at the moment is having a little bit of a is having a bit of a moment, Christian, because people are talking about, well, all the cars are more even, it's more competition. And and if you want that, that's great. But Brad's question is, why can't we just like he's almost saying, forget about driver contracts and just assign random drives. And then it does truly, really become a team competition, I think. I have uh, I thought about this actually quite some time, uh, quite, uh, quite a few times because uh, how can you spice it up? Can you do anything to spice it up? But you have to imagine Mbappé playing for every team in the French League, There's that. two There's games that. each. It will never work because where does he live? Who, who is he playing for? Who is he playing with? And it's the same for racing drivers. Uh, it would be fun, but it would only be fun if the reality is the drivers are themselves and the teams are themselves. Formula One is very much an entire team with the driver in the team. So also contract-wise, it would, it, it's simply not doable. Well, it, it's so. almost like asking who's the best football manager and basing that on league position. No, it's no, because you can be a brilliant manager saving a team exactly. from relegation and do better than the team that just sneaks into the, the UEFA Cup. Uh, Catman. Oh, but oh, sorry. If I can Christian. just add yeah. one thing, you would also have to have. Um, uh, uh, my conclusion was: if you need to do this, you need to have the same cars everywhere. So each team has to have a car that is driving with the same specs, whatever. And then you would just have like a different scenario. So it wouldn't be Formula yeah. One if you had to do it, anyways. Well, they did exactly this in W Series, didn't they? So they had exactly the same cars and they changed around the teams. And Jamie Chadwick won, I think it was over 50% of all mm. the races in all three series. So the the cream would still come to the top. And I don't think it made that much of a difference. As you said, it, if it was someone driving a Minardi, then it would make a, a big difference. And to be fair, you probably wouldn't get you know people out of position. So I don't think it would work in F1. Okay, so just while we're quickly touching on uh, on women's racing, uh, Philip Allen did jump in with a question saying, what else should the FIA do uh, to improve diversity of drivers? Should the FIA insist F3 teams only have one driver of each uh, sex and in its teams? How can the new Academy Series be better promoted other than the uh, obvious showing of races, which they're not doing at the moment? So I'm, I'm going to kind of pause on that because uh, Antonia Rankin has been doing quite a bit of research into F1 Academy and been following it. She's going to join us on Tuesday. We're going to do a whole segment on that. All I would say is I wouldn't want to compare this to W Series at the moment because women racing in motorsport, obviously there's an effort to increase the pool uh, of talent. So at the moment, you know, you, you put W Series together by looking for all the women that are currently in series doing quite well or, or who are coming through. It, it, that in that way, it was an immature series. So you are going to get a spread of, of talent. That's inevitable until you get to a mature talent pool. Absolutely. And that's what these trailblazing people and series are for. They're to inspire almost the next generation, if it, if you will, of it's not just for, for women. It's what the wonderful Racing Pride um, organization are doing as well. That I know uh, Chris uh, from our podcast has been involved with this week. Um, so, you know, it's, it's fantastic to see 
different representation and hopefully down the line it will allow more people to become involved in motorsport more on that on tuesday but back to brad's question so you know i think a lot of people are desperate to to see the drivers kind of fight out on equal terms but that's never what f1 has been alex van jean um yeah it's i mean there was an interview the other day with esteban ocon and i agree with him where he says I think if all the drivers were put in the same machinery, there would be two tenths between the entire field. And I don't disagree with him because that is the level of drivers we are talking about. You know, you don't get to 20 drivers in a series like Formula One without finding the cream of the crop, even with your Lance Strolls, um, who's had his time to get good now. Wait, wait, wait. Um, Hang on. That's the perfect example. What is the genuine race pace or flat out lap time difference between Fernando Alonso and Lance Stroll? Because that could well be the answer to what is the difference between the front and the back of the grid. I think it's a, I think there's a lot going on there with the Fernando Alonso thing. I think Fernando Alonso has hit the ground running and all of a sudden got this big wind under him. We also don't know how much Lance is still struggling with his injury. injury. Yeah, true, yeah. It was a big, big injury. Um, and he's notably been knackered after races and been drugged up um, on painkillers to just make sure that he can make it through the races. So, um, And obviously all these first few races have been street tracks and things like that, which is more difficult. It will be more interesting to see when he gets closer. But I do think the grid is close. I think there'll be a couple of outliers like Lance who might be a little bit further away, but I don't think there's much in it between most of them. Well, my caveat to that would be that out-and-out lap time isn't the be-all and end-all, and in fact, race pace is probably more important. Um, But yeah, I think, look, my answer to you, Brad, would be that I've always seen Formula One as a career game. So the drivers are coming in, and their aim is to... And this could be influenced by 90s computer games that I played. I think it was Nigel Mansell's game on the SNES, where you had to kind of make your way through the ranks and if you won you would get an offer from another team and you had to choose whether to accept it or not based on the previous team's results and that's the game i think that's the game in a lot of sports so you're not going to pick up titles at southampton and matt Letitier had a choice in the 90s about whether to pursue his england career by taking the offers from the big teams or whether to be loyal to southampton and enjoy his stalwart status there Letitier, one of the greatest midfielders in the 90s maybe chris waddle no, Letitia. It's got to be Letitia. Even as not a even as not a even as not as big a football fan, I know how great Matt Letitia is. <laughs> exactly. So, so you go if you want to go and lose a couple of hours, just go and YouTube Matt Letitia goals, and you'll have a whale of a time watching some of the most incredible goals you've ever seen in your life. Also, after that, then go and follow a Twitter account that I think it's called Rubbish Nineties Football, and and that, <laughs> that will, that's also entertaining. But what I'm what I'm trying to say is that you know Formula One is a career game. So getting to F1 is is one thing, and then you have to prove your worth. Primarily, you beat your teammate, then you climb the ranks, then you all through that you're trying to build associations with a, a top team. So you know, like drivers, like uh, you know, like um, even uh, Ericsson, you know, had had affiliation with Ferrari. So if he'd ever been good and beaten anyone, then he would have eventually. That's his path to. Ferrari, obviously, the Red Bull juniors like Sonoda right now is being his aim was to prove himself against Gasly, prove himself now against De Vries, and then he can go to Red Bull, and that's part of the game. Then you get yourself in that position, and then you fight for your shot. You haven't just been gifted, you know, that top seat 
in that top team. And there's only a handful of drivers where you can say they kind of cheated, and I don't really mean cheated, that system where they suddenly found themselves in a in a top team and 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 had a title shot. So, you know, Jensen Button had worked his way into top teams. However, the Braun situation was something of a a, a, a fluke. It was good luck on his part, not on the team's part. They worked very hard. But he suddenly found himself in a car with an innovation in a team that people weren't fancying to be at the top. But generally, it's a career game. You get yourself into one of the top teams and then you go forward. And to be honest, I've always enjoyed that because I've watched Formula One over decades. And so if I may bang this drum one more time, Formula One is not a sport that can be enjoyed over two hours or even over a year. Formula One is a sport of eras. And you have to watch and enjoy those eras from start to finish. So if you're a new fan, strap in. And I'll tell you what, I'll do you a deal. Dedicate the next 40 or 50 years to watching Formula One. And then and then after that, if you don't like it, go watch IndyCar. Absolutely. it's it, Motorsport just sucks you in, no matter which channel, which which sport you're watching. You just got to get involved and, as you say, get to know all the drivers and the teams and like Alonso didn't, for example, you know, you talk about the career game where he decided to jump ship towards sinking ships. So, you know, <laughs> it's part of the soap opera and we love it. Sorry, sorry. We are getting yelled at for talking football. Mike Stoner says, football, go back to tyres, please. Christian tyres. This would never have happened if Matt was here. No. I promise you. I yeah. don't know what tire to fact. say. Fact. You want tire, tire fact. Tire fact. Yeah, fact. so we said tires. You need to say, no, no, you just said Christian, you need to say tire fact. I literally, Christian, I yelled one. tires. What more do you want? <laughs> the thing you told us to do. Come on, Christian. Okay, go your own feature. Here, here, here we go. Here we go. This is a good one, a philosophical one. F1 rain tires evacuate an average of 60 liters, which is 16 gallons approximately, of water per second, enough to fill a bathtub in seven, four seconds but never enough to fill the space of man. That, oh, look at that. You made it so sweet the in the big end. big feels. I was going to say, never never enough to make up for the amount of toddler splashes out of your bathtub. As you're just, you're trying to bathe them, you're doing them a favor. You're thinking of babies, I'm thinking of man. <laughs> kind of I did know that fact. No, none tread of my, lightly with I, my feelings, please. Tread lightly for you tread on my feelings. Uh, so I just want to point out that none of my bumpers have worked today and uh, all of them have had Christian talking over them. But that's fine. That is a feature of Christian Pedersen uh, being on this show. And I've given up on editing. I'm not editing Christian Pedersen. I'm not ed- editing Joe Sayward. I'm not doing any more edits on this show. That We have done the last I, edit. I didn't get mentioned in that. You've been very good. I want good. to apologize. Because it's because every time I start talking, my uh, my uh, screen freezes and I can't hear you guys. So I'm sorry oh, for everyone. Oh, he's done it. He's done it again. No, I did it. I did it that time. Let's move on to let's move on to another another question. This one's from Oliver Flink. Timing spanners. One one thing I haven't seen discussed anywhere is the fact that recent safety standards have rendered all street tracks pretty much identical. I'm sure Monaco is glamorous and all that. But from the driver's point of view, it's hard to see a difference to Sochi or Melbourne. All the drivers ever see is grey safety fence. The racers are driving in a tube-shaped cage. I don't think we should uh, compromise with safety, but surely there must be something we can do. Portier, uh, Monaco, Monaco, Portier, uh, nowadays looks like a right turn in an industrial area of Birmingham. Oh, he's from Birmingham. Okay. 
Is there any solution to this? Or is it all that we can just do something and we have to just accept it anyway? Great show. Keep on rocking, says Oliver Flink. It's a good question. Christian, all street tracks look the same and are dull and don't provide racing. But but I don't know. Is this question from the driver's perspective? Uh, I don't understand. Well, I mean, if you look on an onboard, which arguably is one of the best ways to watch Formula One, then yeah, a lot of them do look the same. I think uh, from a driver's perspective, all you need is your markings, and markings can be whatever. It can be part of nature, or a bit of the uh, part of the concrete on track, or part of the fence, or whatever. You just need your marks to uh, where you break and where you do kinds of stuff. They don't have to. They can't change. That is all you need, basically. So from a driver perspective, I think it makes it look faster going through rails, but you don't really care. I don't think. I'll, uh, I'll be Brad's advocate here and say just watching the onboards from onboards from the Nurburgring twenty four hours were absolutely terrifying. You know, driving past all the walls and all of the safety vehicles that were just plodding around on the circuit while they're going around at full speed. And yeah, so. For me, that's a step closer to rallying, which is just an absolute disaster. Yep. So uh, I Wait. I don't agree that you need the railings nearby to make it exciting. Yeah, it's terrifying, but it's it doesn't make the racing exciting. Can we be respectful to rally driving, which is one of the most incredible skills I've ever seen? Those those guys and girls are absolutely bulletproof. I've seen videos of like guys falling off cliffs, tumbling down, and hitting a tree, and then one turns to the other and says, "Sven, are you okay?" Yeah, I'm okay. I've hurt my elbow a tiny bit, but I'm okay. And then you just go, that was South African, sorry. Uh, but they're amazing. But that does not do it for me because I don't, I don't watch a series to see, can you avoid death? That's not what I'm watching a sport for. So in Formula One, Christian's still losing it over that accent. Sorry. Shall I try again with a... No, I've gone straight No, that again. was very... Yeah. I love when you do accents and then afterwards you find out it was a different accent. That is just the best part. I should have just... Have you seen the movie Chappie, Chappie Spanners? No. Yeah, or District 9. District 9 as well. That's great. That's why it's stuck in my head. Um, often, yeah, you, I, I should have not nominated a name until I've, I'd realised which accent came out and can, and then I could have gone, are you okay, Jonas? Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, I'm doing okay. My elbows hurt a bit, but I think we're going to get through it. So yeah, I, I'd brew. I don't watch the sports. I, I'm not one of these gladiatorial kind of fans who's... And, and in rally, all I'm doing is holding my breath, Catman. And it's an amazing skill. But in F1, I don't, I don't really want that. I want them to be able to technically try and take the fastest line. And I don't want one mistake to mean you're out. And looking at the Nürburgring 24, I think the first crash was a Porsche. And if you look at the mistake he made, he just was trying to overtake a small, uh, a slower car and, and just put a rear on the edge. And that was him. And that was him out of the race. And that's, that's not what I want to watch when I'm looking at a sport of racing. Sorry, Alex, go on. I know you're a fan. Of- so taking this, com- this quick question from the perspective of the driver, which is actually, I think, where it's kind of based at, they love it because it's exciting and it means they can't make a mistake. It means they have to be perfect. It also means they can push the driver ahead to make a mistake. Um, I mean, I know people don't like us talking about sim racing, but do it. Um, I don't care. Even they can, they... even even at Imola this week in the Formula Three, and and at Imola, all the walls are very very close. You make one tiny mistake, and you're buried in the wall. I've done three or four races around this track, and I have driven every single lap terrified of crashing and that's the whole thing you're on that jangly end of your nerves the bit that they really like that makes them exciting and if you talk to any of the drivers 
the tracks they love the most outside Suzuka Spa and Silverstone are the street circuits because that's what gives them the biggest tingle. So they don't care if it all looks the same because I bet it doesn't. Um, having driven them on the F1 games, they definitely don't look the same. Okay, some of the um, night Saudi races in the, uh, out in the Middle East, they all look a bit the same. But I just think it tingles them so much, they don't care what it looks like. All right. Well, it's a good question. To be honest, like if you look at Formula E, I definitely get that feeling that all the tracks look the same because basically they have the same. They get in there and they set up the the same kind of barriers, and so it can end up looking, you know, a, a little bit kind of similar. And if you want to talk about character on a track, the whole point of going to a street track is is that. But to be honest, street tracks do have their own characteristics. So if you kind of go well, Singapore, it definitely has a a distinct Singapore look. And, and Singapore shows that you can have a couple of sections that look quite Grand Prix-y as well. So I sympathise with what you're saying, and I have a feeling that it's only going to get worse because if F1 are really determined to bring things into the, the cities, then they basically have... The, the cities aren't all determined to do uh, a Formula One race. They, they kind of they look at the deal, they look at the numbers and go, yes, this would be profitable. F1, please come in and do a Formula One race. So they're going to come in with their expertise, and there is a risk that Vegas is going to look a lot like Miami, is going to look a lot like Qatar, is going to look a lot like Saudi Arabia. Christian? I think we will in the future see, and I think already in Las Vegas will probably be, I don't I don't have any insight, this is just me thinking forward, but I think we will see LED lights, uh, drone drone lights, stuff like that implemented in in in, uh, in city events like formula 1 where you you could basically say if you took a picture of uh, singapore from the air and just uh, uh, put an led line on each side of the track that would look beautiful or it could follow the drive or, or something like that i think we will see stuff like that maybe on the wheels as well in the future on the on the vegas thing i i just I cannot get behind Vegas. I think if you think Miami didn't feel like it had much of a vibe going on about this year, there is no one who's going to be. There's just I can't understand. I can't believe there's going to be any vibe around that Vegas track this year. It's going to be just full of billionaires who have rented out a lot of stuff, probably for corporate, and they're all going to be drinking and talking business and gambling rather than actually watching the race. Don't forget, Liberty just opened their main office in, in Las Vegas. And this is part of the Liberty office. This is going to be like the main office for Formula One in the world. So, yes, it's going to be a lot of all the things Alex don't want. Uh, but <laughs> it could be a one-of-a-kind, unique thing. I, I'm, I have open eyes. It could, and it could be. Things. And the thing is, it's going to be late enough in the season and away from the other street tracks that it might not be so jarring. And I, I bang this drum far too much. But yes, if you put Miami and Baku and Monaco all within four races, and now it's worked out within three races, and I think with the China cancellation, that means that five out of the first six uh, Grand Prix are going to be street tracks. That's not good. That's not good for the brand. By the time we get to Las Vegas, we will already have had a, a you know the European leg and um, and Montreal. So we'll get to Las Vegas and it will feel maybe like a novelty. And that's maybe what it should be. So space them out and I'll have less of a problem, Christian. Uh, the reason why they're going to do that is because then they can travel to a region, three races, new region, three races in the future. That mm. is the perspective of the 
schedule for the future. And I think that's going to do some street track noise for you. You've got your finger on the pulse of uh, F1 as a business. Stefano Domenicali, who is obviously the head of uh, the, the voice of Liberty Media right now, he is absolutely adamant. He's saying F1 are going nowhere. We're not selling to our Saudi Arabian friends. We are here for the long term. Obviously, you can't help but think, oh, that's just corporate speak. You'd never go. To be honest, lads, we're phoning it in until we get a bid that we can accept. Uh, But Liberty, to me, I do feel like they've got a a commitment to Formula One. I feel like they've got a plan. But I do feel like that plan is money centric. And it's not always what's going to be the the best Grand Prix week to week. Is anything not money? No, I know. I'm naive. I'm an idealist. Is it when you're you're, gone? If everything was just money spanners, I'm pretty sure we would see negotiations with the Saudis about the 20 billion thing. But I think yeah. Liberty is, uh, they know what they're doing. Just look at what they're doing. Just since last year, they went off 6%. I mean, 6% in this business world in one year is a lot. So Liberty knows what okay. they're doing. Okay. And but, they're, but, but if it wasn't money, it. if it wasn't money, There'd be no sprint races. The sprint races are completely driven by eyeballs mm, equals money. Eyeballs no, equals no. money. That's why they're doing that. Go on, go on. defend sprint sprint races. I can't believe we've I will. come to this. Go on. I then. will. I will do it shortly in three sentences. Okay. I'm active Friday. I'm active Saturday. I'm active Sunday. I'm at work Friday. Yeah, school. Yeah. I want to watch. I want to so, watch qualifying on the Friday. I want to watch my qualifying when, I, when I'm when I'm free and I'm not at work. Yeah, the, then majo- you can take the majority it of the working world works on Fridays, um, and it causes a mess for the Grand Prix. And I think I've, I, the thing that the thing that pees me off is people say, "Oh, you know, if you have less practice, it's it, it jumbles up the order." No, if it's less practice, the better teams move further ahead, and the worst teams move further behind. If it wasn't about money, if it was about providing great racing. We'd be in Malaysia racing. We'd be in Istanbul racing. There, we'd be at the Indian Grand Prix, the Indian Grand Prix track. We'd be there. Mm, the Indian Grand Prix track was a good track. No one went, yeah, but it was a good track. The guy who and made that deal that did a lot of things he shouldn't have done, and he did it with Bernie and stuff. So basically, the, 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 it, it was never a, a allowed to live. The, the whole, things like Malaysia sorry. is... It's it's all I'm, all I'm saying is uh, the things we were talking about that has to work together are so big. So and the amount of money a city has to pay nowadays to host a race also doesn't really pay well for a track like Malaysia. They don't have that kind of money. So the failure for the Indian Grand Prix was first of all it was built on a bog, so most of it was sinking not long after they built it. But the plan was to build like a city around the circuit and make it an inner city circuit. But because they built it, it's like the man who built his house on sand, isn't it? It just, it just was never, it was never going to work. But as a race circuit, it was a good race circuit. And there are, I, I mean, I can't believe we don't go to Turkey. If it was about racing, yeah, if it was about racing, Turkey, if it was about racing, Turkey is one of the best circuits that there is. And we should be Turkey there every would single not year. Exist if it wasn't about money. <laughs> That's the Bernie. Bernie track. owns it. Yeah, exactly. Does Bernie own anything that doesn't involve making him God, richer? This that track makes no money. That's why they don't go there. Um, okay, here's, an, here's another one. If it was just about good racing or or what was good for F1 and not just money, uh, someone tweeted this, and apologies uh, because I can't remember the, the the tag, but someone said, how come... Uh, tracks struggle to get upgraded to an A 
license or whatever it is to be F1 graded, yet pretty much any street track with closed-in walls that is obviously inherently more dangerous can just get thrown onto the calendar. So, Catman, how come? How can you money? Of course it's money. Catman, why can't we have that South African Grand Prix that Lewis Hamilton wants? Why can't we have Watkins Glen make, make a comeback to, to Formula One? That's the ju- to, that is such a good question, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And there's no defending that they will pass a track like the the Saudi race, for example. The first year we were worried that we would get blindsiding because they just couldn't see around the corners if there was a crash. So, yeah, it's it's all about where can provide them the most eyeballs, the most money, the, not even the most ticket sales. I don't think Liberty care about ticket sales. It, the promoters do, but but they're not going to to, to necessarily make their decisions based on that. Yeah, it's like the crash that Schumacher had in Saudi last year was horrific. Awful, awful crash. The boy was so, so lucky, lucky to lucky, walk away lucky. from that without any any injuries. You don't get that track. You don't get that crash at a proper track because you have the runoffs and you have all the different things. And, you know, I mean, you look at how safe things can and can't be. Look what happened to um, Joe at Silverstone last year. If that had been a street circuit, we're talking about a car in the crowd with the, you know, a car in the crowd. That's just not acceptable, and I just think so much of it is just that money-making thing, and they don't really care about the racing if they get people in the door. Christian, I don't. I think that is very harsh. I think Liberty cares a lot about the racing, and I think if you just look at how they upgraded the the complete experience of uh, of Formula One being that from your home, on your phone, on the track, even allowed in the paddock club. I mean, it's completely changed. And that is, it's not drive to survive that changed Formula One. It's liberty that changed Formula oh, One yeah, so by the, taking decisions oh, yeah. that for, uh, included Netflix and included a lot of things. But if you remember, Bernie, the, the way you did business in the 90s and zeros was, I have something mm. of value I'm going to protect it so no one can get it except from the one who pays me. The way we do business nowadays, uh, I have something of value. I want everyone to have it. So I nearly argued. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Christian. I thought you'd stop there. Um, just, just go ahead, Spence. There, There is a, an argument I was trying to make that almost was against myself earlier, which is, yeah, we all talk about, oh, well, a Liberty are, are chasing a, a, an audience or whatever. But we think that the overtakes shouldn't be the the main thing that everyone worries about yet True. liberty media have kind of not ignored but they've gone okay we see what you're saying old fans but when we did it your way and uh, and there was no overtakes and you got pleasure purely in the the chase and the hunt and catching was one thing and overtaking was quite another quote unquote no one was watching i.e it was just all you old fuddy duddies and they have been vindicated by the by, by the by the launch of popularity of Formula One because they said, well, actually, we are going to make it about excitement. We are going to make it about drama. We are going to try and manufacture overtakes. And that's when a huge audience uptake came in. And like you only have to look at obviously uh, pay TV skews some of those viewing figures. But like you can see by by the growth of even an organization like Missed Apex and the thousands of podcasts and, and YouTube channels that have cropped around it, it has become a massive, massive ecosystem because they did that. So that kind of vindicates them a little bit. Where they've gone wrong is then we they've had these street circuits at the start of each season for the last two years, and then 
the audience that they brought in with a kind of social contract that, hey, come watch F1 because there's overtakes. Verstappen goes wild, pushes Hamilton off at every turn at Imola, at Brazil, and it's just let them race and wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. And then they're greeted with the start of 2022 and 2023. And they go, hey, this is not what you sold us on. So in a way, I think like we're all wrong. Liberty Media were correct in the way they went about it because the numbers prove it. And also the fans complaining about things being boring are also correct because they were sold on something different. And I'm arguing against myself and every point I've made over the last three years. No matter what you take and make it such a success that Formula One has become, yeah. you will always have a backlash. It is, it, it, you, you, you can't have wet without dry. You can't have black without white. So if I have a lot of success, you will have a lot of expectations and that will eventually lead to somewhat of a failure, at least from some perspective. We wanted overtakings. If you have a race with not enough overtakings, everyone will go, why no overtakings? I will never watch Formula One again. I've watched it since I was 12 with my dad. This will be my last race. Reply, Reddit. You know, that kind of stuff. And I, of course, Liberty social media uh, personnel reads through these and they don't go like, okay, this guy won't, well, let's contact him. They don't go like that, but they, 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 of course, look at the trends. And if everyone talks about overtaking, that will be something that will, that will be on their radar, but they will not go and take a race like Baku and say, let's change stuff. That, that is completely off the radar. They had done everything they can to make it more entertaining for us. One thing they can control is the tires. That is still a thing that we can't, as a viewer, you can't see what is going on with the tire. Uh, that is one thing they haven't communicated yet. I don't think they ever will. And then there is the... Sorry, what did you say? Uh, the, Sorry, the, the uh, problem with the what? Uh, a problem with, uh, you know, communicating the, what the status of Didn't the tire. Didn't you not say tires? What did you say? Tires? Oh. Tires! Go! Good Cl- how is that clipboard not accessible? <laughs> I'm not used to doing live, you know. It, it can be, You're not you, used to doing live, aren't you a radio DJ? You were a radio presenter. Isn't that all live? For years. <laughs> Is He's this live? Why didn't anyone tell me? Uh, I, I think actually maybe I used the last one. I can... <laughs> okay, make one up. <laughs> this is the word. Uh, uh, Formula One tires are called black gold. This, that is a very, very... I'm so sorry. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm okay. I'm just cutting off. My All right, I'll get one. I'll get one. Um, the tires come out of the blank. New tires are shiny because they are pressed in a uh, chrome um, um, mold, and that's why they come out shiny. Oh, true. There we go. Ah, oh, you got me, Spanners. I usually never crumple under live conditions, but you got me. Wow, I waited so long for you to stop talking before I pressed that bumper, and you still managed it. Okay. Last, last question. Uh, this has been fun and or garbage. I can't tell. You tell us by telling us at feedback at mistapex.net. You can email me, spanners, at mistapex.net. Uh, go and follow my crew. I, in fact, Christian has just gotten off Twitter, so don't don't follow him. I think you've just shut your Twitter account. You've had enough. Follow me on the street if you meet me. Okay. That's all. That's okay. all I will put. I will put his home address in the in the show notes. Uh, Alex Van Jean at Alex Van Jean. That's uh, G, no, J. J. G double E N. V A N G double E N. Okay. Van you can Green. follow me on yeah. YouTube, on Facebook, not on Facebook. Don't follow me on Facebook, on Twitter or on TikTok. Um, my latest TikTok video is my mm. 
nearly eight-year-old daughter solving a Rubik's Cube. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm mm. trying to do some more simulator com- cool. um, F1, not F1, mm. iRacing content. Yeah. Um, I filmed a video today, but it was quite a boring second place, but I was in constant peril, so maybe <laughs> I'll put it up. Um, and then, obviously, very much looking forward to um, some Missed Apex simulator racing. Excellent. And that does mean, of course, that he does have a Facebook account. He just regrets telling you about it. Catman, uh, you are at CatmanF1 on Twitter, so go and follow him. Our last question is from Stuart Neal, who says, side pods discuss. Okay, so <laughs> the Mercedes update, as I discussed with uh, with Kyle, I think people were, were sort of disappointed, Mercedes fans, not to see what they could come armed with uh, at the Imola Grand Prix. And then, obviously, we think that those upgrades, we're not really going to see what they can do at, at Monaco because Monaco is representative of parking, if nothing else, especially during qualifying these days. But uh, an interesting point to note here is a, a new story that I saw on silverarrows.net, and it was quoting a uh, uh, interview where it says, Stefano Dominicali, the, sorry to keep you up, Alex, the F1 CEO wants Hamilton to stay and says Mercedes will improve very, very soon. Now, I'm not a psychology person. I'm, I'm not a mind reader. But if I had in, an inside scoop, which I'm sure that Stefano Dominicali has, and Mercedes were kind of saying, yeah, we think we're going to get something pretty good by the end of the season. And in 2024, we're going to come out fighting. I would have said soon. I would have said Hamilton, uh, Mercedes will improve soon. That's what I'd have said. If they were going to, if I'm going to add a very, I would say maybe that means, you know, in, uh, in the next six or seven races, a package and series of upgrades will bring something to the fore. But he chose to say Mercedes will improve very, very soon. It's interesting language, Alex. And I think that Stefano Domenicali dealing with the media side of things, I think they will be desperate for someone to come up and quote unquote save them from Red Bull, because at the moment they are facing a backlash about Red Bull domination. Well, it, he is in charge of the PR side of things. Yes. So maybe it's just to make sure Mercedes fans actually tune in. <laughs> yes. He well, they, probably doesn't mm. know anything about what's going on with that car. Maybe. Yeah. I am oh, good point, absolutely yeah. flat out refusing to to build up any hype Aww. to get my hopes up. I am. I, I want to be pleasantly surprised. I their biggest issue, I think, is properly drag, as we've seen a lot of these fast circuits with lots of straight line stuff. They've been rubbish. Um, Lewis Hamilton isn't happy with the car. I think George is just pleased not to be in a Williams, which is why he's doing very well. Um, and I, I, I yeah, I'm, I'm refusing to believe they've got anything coming. <gasps> I think, as Matt said in the show the other day, um, I don't think side pods are going to come because I don't <laughs> think side pods are the issue. Yes, um, they are. It's a bit. It's a bit like when um, all the uh, Red Bull driver, all the Red Bull mechanics used to stand behind the Red Bull with it when it had its double, when it had its double diffuser and all its fancy blown diffuser stuff, and it was actually loads of other bits on the car at the front that no one was actually looking at. So I don't believe that's the issue. Um, but I just I hope it comes, but I'm not getting my hopes up. It's really interesting from the article that you took that it was uh, about the quality of the Mercedes upgrade because I I saw this as a 
please, Lewis, we need you to stay because otherwise uh, yes. F1 yeah. is tanked, mm. essentially. So, you know, I didn't actually even think about the the aspect of whether they believe, whether Domenico knows anything about Mercedes's upgrades, more about about maybe how he sees Lewis in the paddock, dejected, down, not wanting to to do interviews, this sort of thing. Maybe it's actually giving more of a temperature gauge on on his mindset than anything else that's not necessarily coming out from anywhere else. So I, yeah, and look, as someone who gets accused of, oh, you're Hanfosi, you hate Verstappen, this, what I'm about to say, isn't going to help that at all. But I, but I think that Lewis Hamilton is like massively popular. Like when you look at American fans and, and the UK fans, which are two massive audiences, Lewis Hamilton is massively, massively popular. And, and I think a Lewis Hamilton win would be, from a PR point of view, it would be a huge shot in the arm for, for F1. And I would be really, really surprised if they weren't actively hoping for that. And, and that wouldn't be a good outcome from, from them, for them. And I think uh, when you come to looking at Verstappen's rise in popularity, I think that F1 and society at large might have overestimated Max Verstappen's broad popularity. So obviously in the Netherlands, he's going to be very, very popular. And there's obviously, there was a huge anyone but Hamilton crowd, which I completely sympathise with, because even as a Hamilton fan, it was starting to go, how long are they going to let this go on for? Because there's kind of been a big regulation change that they dominated, a half regulation change that that didn't help. And, And then they still look to be on top, in 2021, even when they specifically, controversial, but definitely specifically changed the regulations to go away from advantaging the low profile, low rake, longer wheelbase car. So uh, there's there's definitely a case for fans who wanted a change to be Verstappen fans. And those fans before them, a lot of them were Vettel fans. A lot of them were, were Rosberg fans. Because when a driver's dominating, it's perfectly natural for people to look for the, the new champion, you know, the, the new hope, if you like, that's going to come through and, uh, and change things up a little bit. But I think the media and Formula One was also swayed by the Max Verstappen fan base being incredibly effective, mobilised and vocal. And I mean this broadly as a compliment. Like, you guys, you Max Verstappen guys, you swarmed media. You made TV think that everyone was thinking about Max Verstappen, that everyone wanted Max Verstappen to win. The second anyone criticised Max Verstappen, it, they were swarmed upon. And I will be completely honest with you, there was, a, there was a period, there was a time, I think in 2020, it might be 2021, I forget, there was a time where I was made physically ill. I felt physical illness symptoms from the weight of abuse from Max Verstappen fans. And I really did feel that pressure at one point. Like I had a physical gut reaction and I I didn't realize what it was. And I was wondering, and then I linked to the two and it was like, wow, I've been swarmed and bombarded by Verstappen fans so much that it's had a physical effect on me. And I heard people on TV, they would try to criticize Verstappen and they'd go, they'd caveat it and they go, no, 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 we're not saying he's not a good driver, but he is crashing into everyone. And that was in like 2017, 2018. So, Lewis Hamilton fans are very intense as well. Like a Lewis Hamilton fans, they will not let go of an argument and they will want to debate you and they will want the last word and they will go on forever. But the Verstappen fans have been the best, quote unquote, the best fan base, Alex, in that they have just been very 
very effective. And in that, I think Verstappen's reach and popularity has been overrated by the officials and overrated by media. So very quickly on the Hamfosi and Colt Verstappen, whatever they're called these days, the Twitter arguments between the pair of them is ridiculous, childish, yeah, of course. misinformed, um, and awful, and misrepresents the majority of the fans of both of those entities. Um, and it, people will say the Hamilton fans are worse. People will say the Verstappen fans are worse. I feel the Hamilton fans feel worse at the moment because they have had to go and defend their man for the last two years, where the Max fans can just throw jibes in from the outside because Max has won the last two seasons and Lewis hasn't got a chance at the moment. Um, so that's my that's my yeah. my take on that. I think the problem with regards to F1 having Max as a champion at the moment is despite... Listen, I'm, again, I'm not going to talk about how good he is on the track. Oh, no, know, he's amazing. He's amazing. We, we, we know how amazing he is on the circuit. However, I just don't think he's much of a poster boy for the sport um, because he leaves the track, he goes home, with his yeah. with his girlfriend and his his, his stepdaughter, a warm glass and, of milk, yeah. and and sits on his sim. Now, for me, that sounds like my life, perfect <laughs> life. But I'm not an international sports star who is the main man in a in, in the formula who needs to be to present the sport. And I don't think Max does a good job at supporting the sport that is his platform, where Lewis does a good job now. People might not care, or people who are big fans will say, oh, we don't care about what they do off, off the sport. But the sport yeah. does care. It does matter to have a good champion. Um, and I think Bernie used to moan about Matt, um, Seb not being great as the champion <laughs> of the sport yeah, because he had zero presence when he wasn't at the racetrack. And that's not good for the PR of the sport. Lewis Hamilton, he's at the Met Gala. He's at this event. He's at that event. He's doing all these different things that are things that he wants to do. He's not doing it for Formula One. But because he is visible and he is in the the world domain, that promotes Formula One. And Max doesn't do that. Yeah, but look at where Fettel is now. Everyone wants to be Fettel. He, he, is, <laughs> he is doing the thing, you could say. I, I want to add that Verstappen is doing exactly what he should do if you're 22 and you look up to your Formula One champion. He's sitting at home in his sim setup or he's at the track doing uh, laps around the entire field. He is... <laughs> I'm not I'm not trying to debate <laughs> if he's a good driver or anything. I'm just saying I, I, I don't think it's the right way to view it because Hamilton is in his mid-end uh, 30s. He's a completely different lifestyle. He, he thinks about life in a completely different manner where Verstappen's life's just begun, basically. And he's actually being a dad for 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 mm -hmm. his girlfriend's uh, kid. And he's also doing sim, and he's doing Formula 1. The only three things I think he's actually doing in life. So mm -hmm. I, I would argue that he's doing exactly what a world champion should do. He's doing exactly what a world champion at his age should be doing, but he's not doing what F1 as a sport would be doing. Very true, very true. But he will eventually if he doesn't leave the sport before that. But oh, yeah. I, I would say in 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 regards to uh, to Hamilton's markability and formal liberties and, and and the value of having Hamilton around, I'm fairly sure also in regards to the things we talked about before with Liberty Media looking at the SoMe trends and stuff like that. I'm fairly sure their team knows exactly how much 
a Lewis Hamilton eighth title is uh, worth and mm. how important yes. that is to Formula One I, as a brand. Yeah, from a money point of view. So I want to. Yeah. I, I hope. I hoped this wouldn't need clarifying, but just to be sure. Obviously, I was talking at the extreme ends of both fan bases. There's a lot of perfectly neutral Lewis Hamilton fans and a lot of very calm and uh, and, and knowledgeable and uh, inactive uh, Verstappen fans as well. I was, of course, talking about the extremes. Do you want me to sit here and spend five minutes caveating every point? Or can we have a shortcut where you know we grant each other some common sense? Catman? Yeah, I was just going to say about the partisan nature of Formula One that it didn't always used to be thus. So uh, I went to Silverstone in 2010 and I sat in the arena grandstand with one of my friends, we'll call him Derek uh, for, <laughs> for shortness, um, but he knows who he is. And he was an avid Ferrari fan, kitted out in all the stuff. I was kitted out in all the, the Lewis gear with a flag wrapped around me. And we were jumping up and down and, and getting really excited together. And someone turned around and said, how can you guys be friends? You support opposite teams. <laughs> yeah, and I said, I know that I was, I was absolutely flabbergasted by that. I couldn't, couldn't work out w- what they meant. And then it's, it has evolved into that sort of partisan nature. It's, it's sad mm. in a way. And not, but very, very on point for sport. Another clarification possibly here. Maria says, why does Max Verstappen need to be a Liberty poster boy? He doesn't. He absolutely does. I don't think me or Alex were, were making that point at all. His lifestyle is actually seems fairly wholesome. It really does. I want that. I want that lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And go and go and watch him doing, um, you know, streaming with uh, with Redline Racing. It's all it's all very very good. And go on, Alex. To be fair, Max Verstappen, the the sim racing streamer. I like that Max Verstappen. It's unfortunately that Max Verstappen doesn't turn up at the Grand Prix. <laughs> so we weren't doing that. We are specifically in this case talking about the the motivations and what would be the motivation of liberty of f1 and what they need i i genuinely do believe that should hamilton turn around and pick up a a few wins from a business point of view i think that would will benefit f1 and i think they would be mindful of that i'm not saying they're going to throw well-timed red flags or sneak them in a brown paper envelope the uh the drs specs of red bull i'm just saying i reckon that's what they'll be hoping for christian um Oh, I was dreaming about tires and just wondering what no, no Matt more. is doing in no New more. York. No and- more tire facts. You haven't got any left. And I think that nicely sums up the end of the show. Uh, an hour and 45 minutes of news chat. But I just, to be honest, I was enjoying hanging out with my friends. And I hope that you're enjoying uh, listening to Mr. Apex podcast. All the links that we've talked about today will magically appear in the show notes below. And I think we're going to have some midweek content in the form of a magazine show for you during the week. And then Jono is going to come and sit in and take you through the delights of the Monaco Grand Prix on Sunday. There will be a patron pod on Friday as well. So lots to look forward to. But wherever we see you next, work hard, be kind and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. Okay, so normally Matt sits and diligently looks for a comment of the week.
but I haven't done that or assigned anyone to do it. So what I'm going to do... Oh, Alex has got two. I got two. I was literally going to just read out the last comment that I read, which was, <laughs> it, like, it's Mark's, and Mark says, it's a, and I know he's Northern, so I can do this, it's a circular relationship. Ideally, the sport makes you a star, and then you carry that and grow the sport more with your profile. It's true, but not funny. No, but... Um, but so I've got Mike Stoner, who said, Brad isn't on the show because he's busy trying to shave 0.0000001 second off his uh, time at Le Mans. Um, or Paddy, who said, did Stroll's injury quantum leap and take it and make him crap for the last years before? So that's worth noting, and I should have <laughs> plugged this, Curses by Will on Tuesday, that a lot of the Miss Apex crew will be running in a virtual... 24-hour race on iRacing at Le Mans. So check out Missed Apex Motorsports channel, which also will be linked in the show notes below. And you can join us for 24 hours of sim racing. I have been practicing as much as I can, and I am pathetic. I am going to let down my team. But uh, what's the second comment? You can't do it. You're on holiday. Holiday. Yeah, no, I, 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 I have serious FOMO, but at least I'll be in Lanzarote having FOMO. So that's fine. Um no, the second one was Paddy's, which was, did Stroll's injury quantum leap and make him crap for the years before two? No. I'm, no, do you know what? I'm in charge. I'm overruling it. I'm giving it to Mark with, it's a circular relationship. <laughs> Ideally, the spot makes you <laughs> a star. Just so you can do the accent. And then you, and then you and let's slow it down. And then you carry that. Listen, listen up, you. Listen up, our kid. <laughs> then you carry that and grow the sport more with your profile. And he, because I'm mocking it, want to say that Mark is the curator of the Laurel and Hardy Museum in the Peak or Lake District. I always get those two mixed up. Laurel and Hardy Museum, if you're going walking in the Peak or Lake District, wherever that is, uh, it's in the north. So if you're going to go to the north, and I see no reason why you should, go and check out that museum. Comment of the week. And that's how the show ends sometimes. (laughs) To be honest giving Matt a week off might have been a mistake because I was looking at the schedule ahead and I, and I just, I said, Matt, we've got, and Catman had coincidentally said, oh, I, I'm free now. And I, I just say, is that, is that a direct dig at me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You were Thanks. meant to be the grown up. So yeah, I, I said to Matt, I said, I think it's wise, like looking at his schedule as well, because he has got a job with the three button pipe thing. And I said to him, right, take Sunday off so that you can take a, you know, a long blow. But really, I think we've shown where like he does an unwritten job, which is that he can't... Like, imagine if he was on this show, like Christian would have fallen asleep in between Matt's time monologues. There wouldn't have been the clipboard nonsense. <laughs> well, I, think, I think Matt would have saved that. Absolutely. So, so basically what you're saying is the only thing Matt is good for is comment of the week. A comment of the week, and I think That's he it. distracts us. With, I think he makes us all feel like we're meant to be more serious. That's what I think happened. And he's not here. To be fair, the chat has been very serious tonight. Yeah. It hasn't been a jokey chat. They've been really getting into our questions, which is good, I guess. That's good. We've had to bring some levity. Because, yeah, if you expected me to be not call, sarcastic. Then call that levity. That was chaos. Pure chaos. I'm going to do the flying helmet thing. And we're... Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.